Well, good morning and uh, welcome to Center Church. Happy 4th of July weekend. Uh, my name is Zach and I'm on staff here. And don't you just hate it uh, when stuff that's important to you falls through the cracks? Maybe it's uh, when you go and go to the restaurant to pick up some takeout and you grab it, you're excited to eat it, you drive all the way home, you get in the driveway, you get at the table, you open the bag and you realize that they forgot the sauce. All right, or uh, when you make plans uh, with people that you've really been looking forward to, to seeing or hanging out with, right? You make plans with them, uh, you're excited, but then you know it rains or someone gets sick. Or maybe it's when you're driving and your phone literally falls into the crack of death between the driver's seat and the center console. All of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, we all hate it, right? We all hate uh, to see stuff that's important to us fall through the cracks. And that's why one of my jobs uh, here at this church is to make sure that those of you who are new or are trying to get connected don't fall through the cracks. Right, every July, uh, we have uh, new faces uh, who show up around Center Church, uh, and we love that. Man, maybe you're here, and uh, you've recently moved to the area for a new job, or maybe um, you know, you're here, you, you moved here to, to be closer to family, or um, you know, you're, you're starting med school or a new grad program, right? Whatever it is, we wanna make sure that you don't fall through the cracks, and we wanna help you get connected and find community. So do us a favor on your way out. Uh, if you haven't already, stop by the welcome tent. Our team would love to get to know you, to get a little bit of your uh, information, to know in what area of town you live in or what stage of life you're in so that we can get you connected to a group that makes sense for you. Um, at the end of the day, uh, our heart as a church, man, is to be a, a group of people who choose, who choose uh, to live in community because we see that's the key, uh, man, that's a key to knowing God more and to making disciples. So if you would, uh, just join me uh, really quick, praying that God would uh, help our church to be marked by community, uh, and then we'll jump into our passage. So let's pray. Uh, God, we pray and ask that you would help us uh, as a church to be a people uh, who chooses community. It's hard, uh, it's intimidating, it can be scary, um, but we just, uh, Lord, we wanna uh, lock arms together uh, to follow Jesus, to follow you faithfully, and we ask for your help to do that. Uh, specifically for those who are new um, and trying to get connected this morning, that you would um, not put any obstacles or barriers to that, but help us to do our part as a church to help them get connected to your body. Uh, we love you, uh, we ask that you'd bless uh, us as we seek to look and hear from you through Psalm 127. Uh, we pray all that in Jesus' name, amen. Well, who here uh, enjoys a good icebreaker, right? All the extroverts in the room are like on the edge of your seat right now. You know, you love it. The introverts, you've got shivers running down your spine. You're like, please do not make me do anything uh, right now. Um, and I'm, you know, icebreakers are what they are. Um, if I had to pick one, uh, that's probably my favorite, I would pick the game of would you rather, right? You, you ask questions that seem like they're impossible uh, to answer, right? Questions like this. Would you rather get stuck in traffic every day or have slow internet connection every day? Uh, would you rather have chapped lips that you can never get rid of, or would you rather have dandruff that you can never get rid of? Both sound terrible, right? Uh, would you rather be sitting on the beach right now or sitting here listening to me preach, right? They're, these are just impossible uh, to choose um, between. But uh, what, about, uh, what about this one? Would you rather enjoy God or make much of God? Would you rather experience, man, the, the peace of God in you or experience God's power through you? Would you rather, man, your life be characterized by rest or fruitfulness? Your response is probably, uh, are you gonna make me choose? Like, I want both of those things, right? I, I, don't want, I don't want one or the other, I want both. Yet oftentimes, I think in the Christian life, uh, we have a, a tendency to see rest in God and fruitfulness uh, for God is mutually exclusive, right? When I have one, I lose the other. 
when I'm at church or you know, relaxing with my friends or I'm doing my quiet time, praying and reading the Bible, man, that, that feels like rest, but it doesn't actually feel like I'm accomplishing anything or I'm not being fruitful. And when I'm you know, on the short-term mission trip or uh, trying to share the gospel or serving the church or whatever, that, that feels like fruitfulness, accomplishing things for God, but I feel like I lack, man, rest in God. Well, Psalm 127 uh, is the passage that we're gonna be in today, uh, and it shows us not only that we can experience both, but it's gonna show us how. It's gonna show us how to experience, man, a life that's characterized both by rest and by fruitfulness. Uh, let's jump in. Uh, verse one says this, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So the kind of first thing that jumps out when you read these verses is a spirit of self-reliance, right? It's building the house without the Lord's strength. It's watching over the city without the Lord's strength. It's, it's working long, hard hours without the Lord's, uh, without trusting in the Lord to provide or depending on his strength. Uh, and, right, in short, self-reliance is essentially living uh, like we don't need God. And this sort of always uh, is now and kind of always has been the, the anthem of our culture. Uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson is a famous 19th century post poet who was kind of known for his short, uh, pithy style. Um, and this is a, a quote from a, an essay that he wrote that was literally titled Self-Reliance. He says, to believe your own thought, to believe that whatever is true for you and your private heart is true for all men, that is genius. Speak your latent conviction, and it shall be the universal sense, for the inmost in due time becomes the outmost. Right, it's, it's this it's living, right, with this sense that what's in here is ultimate. I don't need anything out there because I've got everything I need in here. I don't need God's help. I don't need God's wisdom. I don't need God's power, his presence, his people. I don't need anything out there because I've got everything I need right in here to flourish and to find rest. And while it's easy you know, to, to see that kind of spirit out in the world, you know, whether it's Ralph Waldo Emerson or Disney songs or Disney movies or you know, a, a myriad of different places that we can look and see that, it's easy to see it out there. I think as the church, and we need to, to be on guard against the subtle ways that a spirit of self-reliance could slip in here. Because what we see uh, when we look at the Bible, throughout the, the Bible, and specifically in the opening pages of Genesis, man, is that God's people have always had a tendency to live as though we don't need him. Right, opening pages of Genesis, God creates his people, right, Adam and Eve, uh, in his image for his glory and gives them everything that they need in life. He tells them to, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And within a couple pages, of a couple flips of the page in your Bible, you get to Genesis 11, and people are essentially saying, hey God, thanks for the good advice, we're gonna do things how we wanna do it. Right, you told us to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, but we're actually gonna settle down in this plane right here. Right, we're gonna, we're gonna build a city for ourselves, and we're gonna build a huge tower that reaches all the way up to the heavens. Right, we're gonna use our strength and our resources because ultimately we want to make a name for ourselves rather than making your name great in all the earth. Adam and Eve did it, right? The people at Babel did it, Israel did it in the wilderness, right? And the people of God, you and I, right? We have a tendency to do it today too. Some of us, uh, some of you, man, rely on your bank account for your sense of security, right? You, you work overtime uh, or you give uh, generously, uh, not because those, you know, things are bad, but because ultimately the number of zeros uh, in your checking account or your 401k or your sense of like security and protection. 
Some of you, uh, man, rely on your reputation for your sense of worth, right? You, you go hard at the gym or you doctor those social media posts and you spend and more money than you probably should on clothes because you need, right, other people to see you as impressive or beautiful or valuable or whatever it is, right, to have any sense of worth or value. Some of you, right, some of us rely on our, our, our possessions for a sense of satisfaction, right? We need the next iPhone and then the next iPhone or a, a new house, right, or the new pair of shoes that, you know, we check the tracking number 100 times to see when we get there, right? We all do that. I do that, you do that, and we all do that, right? Some of us, we rely on our possessions, right? And some of us then rely on our performance for our acceptance before a holy God, right? We feel like if we don't do enough or you know, strive enough or fight that sin or kill that or kill that sin or whatever it is, man, that God's gonna be frustrated and upset with us and that we're not gonna have a place in his family. And here's the reality, right? Acceptance, security, self-worth, uh, you know, satisfaction, all of those different things aren't, aren't bad things. They're actually all needs that God created in every human heart. What matters is not that we have them. What matters is where we look to find them or to fill them. Right, and what this passage shows us is that when we you know, reject God for those things and when we look in here to find you know, satisfaction or worth or to the things of the world or whatever, it ultimately leads us to be restless, to be restless. We see that in verse two. It says, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. Right, that's a restless spirit. It's, it's working, it's striving, it's trying to earn and all the while having this pit, this anxious pit that man, it's not really working and I can't rest. Um, kind of the first piece of restlessness that we see from that is, man, is the tendency to, to overwork or to, to overbusy ourselves. It's getting up early in the morning, right? Going late to bed, busying, busying yourself when you should be resting. But rather than seeing, man, that as something that's you know, bad and potentially a sign of self-reliance, uh, I think one of the things that we see is, man, that's, a, that's sort of a badge of honor in our, in our culture, right? Busyness is something that we kind of pride ourselves on. Um, we see, you can see that all over the place. Um, but one place that I, I have at least seen it really clearly was on the college campus. So I did college ministry for a couple years uh, here uh, with our church at UVA and a couple years ago. And it wouldn't be all that uncommon to be on grounds, you know, riding on the bus or hanging out with a group of people or whatever, and here, two students kind of get into what I would call a battle of the busyness. It would go something like this. One guy would walk up to the other one and say, oh, hey, hey, man, how you doing? How's it going? And the guy would be like, good, man. You know, things are going well. Busy, you know, but good. You know, I was up all night uh, studying for a midterm, uh, you know, pulled an all-nighter, and then I had um, swim, uh, like club swim practice, and then I had, you know, a day full of classes, and then I've been trying to get ready to go on a date, you know, with my girlfriend tonight. So busy, but good. How about you? Oh, good, man. You know, things are going well. Busy. You know, I'm busy, man, but I'm doing well. You know, I've had meetings with my 65 different clubs that I was in today, and then, you know, I, uh, I studied for the, the four or five tests that I've got coming up on Friday, um, and, you know, I've also, I, you know, I've got a date with my girlfriend tonight, too. You know, you can make sure that get that part in there, um, right? And, and, you know, of course I'm exaggerating uh, a little bit, but you guys get the picture, right? We live in a world that prizes and prides ourselves on busyness. And don't get me wrong, right? Busyness isn't inherently a, a bad thing, right? God created us to be a people who, man, works heartily for him. We saw that a couple weeks ago uh, in our series in Colossians, but if you find, if, you know, if you're here this morning and you find yourself boasting in your busyness, or feeling like that adds something to you. If you find yourself working when you should be worshiping, 
or distracted by all you have to do to the point that you can't delight in who Jesus is or what he's already done for you, man, if, that, if, that, if those things characterize you, there's a good chance that there's some restlessness in your soul because you're relying on yourself to be or to do something rather than resting and trusting God and being you know, content in who he is and what he's done. That's the first piece of restlessness. The second, uh, the second piece is worry, right? We see that in this passage, that phrase, eating the bread of anxious toil, right? It's fear, it's anxiety, it's, it's worry. And one of my favorite definitions of the, uh, of the word of worry um, is, uh, is the obsession over the what if, right? And we all know what that's like, right? What if they don't like me? What if I fall short? What if I'm not good enough? What if something happens to my kids? Right, every one of us knows what it's like to go to bed and to lay our, you know, our head on the pillow at night and have our thoughts, man, just run about all of the different things that could happen in our lives. Um, and, and what this text shows us is that, man, when we do that, when we rely on our own strength and our control and live like there is no God, man, worry is inevitable, right? Because when we live as though God doesn't exist and we don't need him for anything, there are a lot of things that we should be worried about. Because deep down, we know that, man, we're not nearly as in control of our lives and the circumstances and situations in our world like we like to think that we are. And so kind of to wrap that up, here's the, here's the point that Solomon is trying to make in these first couple of verses. That way of living is vain. That way of living is vain, right? He mentioned the word three different times. Unless the Lord builds, it's in vain. Unless the Lord watches, it's in vain. It's in vain that you're trying to live in your self-reliance. And that word vain, it can carries a, a lot of meaning. On the one hand, it can, uh, it can mean fruitless or, or empty or um, ineffectual, right? It describes my efforts to build anything that we get from Ikea, right? I get the package, I open it, I get all the pieces, the parts, whatever. I worked really hard to try and put it all together, but at the end of the day, man, after all of my hard labor, the thing is either broken, bent, or backwards, right? It was my, la- my labor to build the thing, uh, the crib, whatever it is, was in vain. Um, we see uh, the connection, man, it really clearly in kids, um, this kind of striving in our own strength leading to vanity. My son is around two and a half, three-ish, and um, one of his favorite phrases recently is, I wanna do it myself, right? It doesn't matter what it is. He doesn't want my help. He wants to do it himself. So whether it's trying to get out the door and, and put his shoes on or whether it's, man, trying to, to pour his, uh, cere- the milk in his bowl of cereal or trying to aim at the potty in potty training, he doesn't want my help. He wants to do all of those things himself. And what inevitably happens when he does it himself, the shoes go on the wrong feet or they don't get on at all, uh, the entire half gallon of milk goes into the bowl and out of the bowl and everywhere, and pee ends up going all over the wall, right? <clears throat> his, his efforts to do those things without me is ultimately gonna be futile. Without the help of his father, his efforts are futile, right? And while that's funny and cute with kids, this passage wants to tell, tell us that that's the same, the same is true in our relationship with God, right? When we live in self-reliance, our efforts in life will ultimately, at the end of the day, man, be fruitless, empty, vain, on the other hand, uh, the word vain uh, can convey a sense of worthlessness, right? So I may, to some extent, be successful in my efforts to build something, but at the end of the day, it's not actually gonna be worth anything. It's not actually gonna have any value. 
Uh, I heard a story once of a guy uh, who was wildly successful. So he had a lot of awesome relationships. Uh, he ran in the circles of power. He had a ton of influence over you know, a variety of different people. Um, he had a, a ton of money, right? He was super, super wealth, uh, wealthy, right? Maybe more wealthy than anyone here in this room. He had man, more possessions. He had more women. He had more sex. He had more fun. He had all of the things uh, that we could possibly think of in this world. And you know how he described all of it? Vain. And that guy, his name was King Solomon, and you can read about all that in the book of Ecclesiastes, right? Ecclesiastes chap chapter two basically tells you that exact thing. And that is probably, for some of you here, uh, a warning this morning, right? Because in some senses, right, we can go through life and it doesn't seem, and live in self-reliance and it doesn't seem like it's vain, right? Uh, things generally seem to be going pretty well. You know, you've got, you know, all of your needs are met. Uh, it seems like you're, you're kind of killing it in your family or at work, you're getting promotions, you're doing all of these things. And if that's you, if you feel like your self-reliance this morning is working out for you, here's what I would tell you, because here's what this passage wants to tell you, be careful. Be careful. Because you can go through this life and do that and achieve and accumulate and accomplish and all of these different things, but in the words of Jesus, Man, you will get to the end and you will have gained the entire world, but you will have lost and forfeited your soul. Self-reliance, man, that way of living, it leads to vanity, man, emptiness or and and or worthlessness. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Right, the good news, guys, is that this passage doesn't just kind of warn us what not to do. It also instructs us what to do, right? It shows us the way that God has actually designed us to live, and that is in dependence on him, right? It's not self-reliance. It's dependence on him. It's depending on him to build the house. It's, it's watching. Uh, it's, bu it's building and depending on him. It's watching. It's depending on him. It's, it's living. It's laboring. It's not just, you know, dependence is not just throwing our hands off and say, do it, God. It's, it's working, but it's trusting in him to be the decisive worker. Look at verse two. Kind of describes it. It says, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. He gives us sleep. When you, you know, not that any of you have sat around this week just thinking about the concept of sleep, right? But if you do, I kind of did because here in the passage, if you do, right, sleep is kind of weird. Like it's, it's the concept of it is kind of strange. Um, here are a couple stats from the Sleep Foundation. Um, lack of sleep or poor sleep results in unplanned absences from work that cost the U.S. economy $44.6 billion every year. It's kind of crazy. Uh, about 44% of, of men and 28% of women snore. So sorry, ladies, I don't know why that is, why God created men that way, but he did. Um, and on average, human beings uh, spend one-third of their lives sleeping. All right, God is sovereign. Why in the world did he create us as people who, man, need to literally spend a third of our lives laying down and doing nothing? I think he did it, you know, one reason, uh, the, probably the primary reason he did it was to show us that as our bodies, right, our literal bodies are dependent on sleep for rest and for fruitful labor, our entire lives are dependent on God for rest and for fruitful labor. Uh, I like how John Piper, uh, pastor, he, he puts it, he says it this way, sleep is a daily reminder from God that we are not God. Once a day, God turns us into helpless sacks of sand to show us that we are not in control. 
God alone is the great worker who never tires and never sleeps. All right, guys, the question is not if we are dependent on God, right? Our, our bodies, uh, creation, right? We see that in a variety of different ways in our world. The question is not if we are dependent on God. The question is whether or not we live like it. It's whether or not we exercise dependence on him in the different areas of our lives. So the question that we have to answer this morning is, are we? Are we living with dependence on the Lord? In your career, right, in your parenting, in your ministry, in your process of sanctification, are you depending on your own efforts or are you depending on the Lord? Because this passage, man, it tells us that the answer to that question of whether or not we're doing that is ultimately gonna be uh, what determines whether or not we experience rest for our soul and fruitful labor uh, in our lives. So let me show you how this works out. In the Bible, um, God's kind of given us two, you know, uh, probably more than that, but a, a two ways that we really can exercise our dependence. And, you know, your practice of these two things is probably tell you a lot about whether, you're not, whether or not you're actually living out dependence. The first thing is prayer, right? Prayer is dependence probably more than anything else, right? It's coming before the Lord and conf- confessing to him that we aren't it, that we don't have it, and that we need his help in our lives, and that's why we constantly strive to be a praying church. That's why we do all of the you know, handful of different things that we do, right, is because we, we don't want this house, man, your lives, our church, our impact, all of these things to be in vain, right? We want them to be established and to be fruitful, and we wanna do it with rest in the process, and that only comes through dependence. Prayer is the first thing. The second thing uh, that God has uh, kind of historically given his people to exercise dependence uh, is the Sabbath, the Sabbath. And I wanna touch on that one for just you know, a second longer because I think it's something that we don't talk about uh, maybe as much as prayer in the church. So in short, uh, the Sabbath was designed to be a, one day out of you know, the, the week um, to be a day of rest for his people, right? We set aside a day to stop working, to stop doing, to stop achieving, and simply, man, just rest in dependence on our faithful God. There are a bunch of places in the Bible where we kind of see that play out, you know, Israel in the wilderness with manna, right? All of these different things. Um, God in creation rested, but um, because the Sabbath is sort of like a lost art, like today in modern society, I think in our lives, I wanna give you a, you know, a pretty cool modern day example of the impact of the Sabbath, and that is in the Lord's chicken. The Lord's chicken, AKA Chick-fil-A, right? So uh, why does Chick-fil-A, right, a for-profit company, choose to close on Sunday, right? A day that would probably be their busiest day of the week. Anytime we ever want Chick-fil-A, it's after church on Sunday, right? Probably more than that. But that's obviously one of, one of them. Why do they do that? Well, per their website, uh, they kind of have an explanation of that. and says this, our founder, Truett Cathy, made the decision to close on Sundays in 1946 when he opened his first restaurant. Having worked seven days a week in restaurants, open 24 hours his whole life, he saw the importance of closing on Sunday so that he and his employees could set aside one day to rest or worship if they chose, a practice that they uphold today. Man, that's dependence on the Lord right there, right? Founding a company and deliberately choosing, hey, we're gonna close on one day, right? A day that would you know, probably be busy, right? You're getting off the ground. You feel a pressure to launch this thing, right? To make money and to do all these things. But hey, we ultimately see that this company, our efforts, all of these different things that we're gonna do are gonna be vain if God's not in it. So we're gonna close and we're gonna dedicate a whole day because that's what we see in the scriptures and in creation anyway, man, to rest, to not do and to rest in the Lord. Guys, depending on the Lord through the Sabbath, through prayer, ultimately leads to rest and fruitful labor. Um, how do we, you know, 
this true? How do we do that, right? How do we actually walk in the Sabbath? Well, John Mark Comer is a pastor out west, um, and he, I think, has a, a helpful framework for how to implement that in our lives. So the first thing he says is that we need to start, right? We need to start somewhere. We should ask ourselves the question, what day and time should I start? For many of us, right, the concept of setting aside a whole day to just rest and worship and all of these different things seems impossible um, to fit into our busy lives. But let me just encourage you to start somewhere. If you wanna do this, but don't see how, just start somewhere. Um, pick a day. For many, Sunday makes the most sense because you're already here. You know, you're already in church. You've already got that belt built in. Or start with just a morning or a half day. Work yourself all the way up to a full day, right? Start somewhere. The second thing he says uh, to do after we start is stop. You're like, what? Stop. Uh, well, what do, you should ask yourself the question, what do I need to stop? Right, our world and our hearts are hardwired to accumulate and accomplish and achieve. And on the Sabbath, what we do is we stop doing those things, right? So on the Sabbath, stop working, right? Stop working or stop trying to accumulate, right? Oftentimes on my day off, all I wanna do is go to Target and buy a bunch of stuff, right? What we need to do is to, to stop and to exercise contentment. That's what that day is all about. It's resting, it's, it's exercising contentment in who God is and what he has already done because he is enough for us. That's our cry as Christians. Jesus is enough. Third, third way we do this is rest, right? We ask ourselves the question, what brings my soul rest? Um, figure out what's restful for you. What's restful for you is, may not be you know, restful for me. Then maybe that's going on a hike or hanging out with friends or grilling out or cooking food. Um, don't do what I often am tempted to do is just lay on the couch all day long and watch TV, right? That we, none of us have ever did that and felt you know, rest, rested in our souls and closer to Jesus, right? Figure out what's restful for you. Do what refreshes your soul. Fourth, lastly, worship, right? Worship. Ask yourself the question, what stirs my affection for God? And then do that. For some of you, that might be, man, extended time in prayer or uh, man, reading a Christian book or a biography or listening to a podcast or a sermon or, you know, silence and solitude somewhere. I don't know. God has given us a variety of different means of grace to enjoy and experience him. What matters is whether or not we do, we do it. We, we need to walk in those things. God has given us, man, means uh, to, to depend on him, his presence and his power in our lives. And when we do that, when we take advantage of those things, it leads to man, rest and fruitfulness. Um, so in verses, that's verses one and two, pretty clear. Uh, Self-reliance versus dependence. One leads to restlessness and vanity. The other leads to rest and fruitfulness. What does that have to do with verses three and five? Right, you read through it. It's like the two seem like they should not be in the same passage together. Did, you know, we have a mistake. No, um, there's a connection between the two. Um, oftentimes when the Bible talks about building a house, it talks about building a family. You see this in 2 Samuel 7 where God shows up to David and he promises him uh, to build him a house and what he's talking about is building a family. But I recognize um, that this, you know, as we transition into a time of talking about how this principle of dependence plays itself out in the, you know, the area of building a family, um, that some of you, man, that's kind of a difficult thing to talk about um, because some of you, you know, here this morning, I know, uh, would love to build a family, but the Lord hasn't provided the ability to get pregnant or to stay pregnant. And if that's you this morning, I just, I want you to hear this. You're not less than, right? You're not less than. Man, sin has affected this world. He's jacked up the world, and a lot of sin has jacked up the world. It's jacked up our bodies in a lot of different ways. And for whatever reason, man, in God's strange and confusing, but ultimately good sovereignty and providence, 
man, it seems like people who would be the best and most godly parents just can't conceive. And if that's you this morning, we wanna, man, we wanna walk with you, we wanna pray with you, uh, we wanna grieve with you, we wanna do whatever you can, we can as a church, man, to help you fight to continue to fix your eyes on Jesus and trust him in the midst of your unmet desires because I know it's not easy and I know it's so hard. Uh, Others of you, there's some of you here uh, this morning who wanna build a family, but the Lord hasn't provided you uh, a spouse. And my encouragement to you would be twofold. Man, one is continue to trust the Lord. Uh, The same as the other side, man, trust the Lord. One of my favorite promises when I was in college and desiring to be married was Psalm 8411. It says, no good thing does God withhold from those who walk uprightly. So continue to, man, follow him and trust him and love him and trust that he won't withhold good things uh, from you. Second, uh, in your singleness, man, leverage it. Leverage your singleness to build this family, this family. While it very, very well may not feel like it, the Bible calls your singleness a gift and a privilege, man, to be leveraged. So do that. Use your unique flexibility, um, your, you know, your unique gifts, schedule, and those things, man, to serve your church family and trust the Lord with the rest. So uh, jumping in here, verse three, uh, Solomon shows us what it looks like to build a family. Verse three, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. So heritage, reward, uh, blessing, right? And when we talk about children um, as blessings, right, much like any blessings in the Bible, um, we, we can have a, a tendency to either overemphasize blessings or we can underemphasize uh, blessings. Uh, here's what I mean. On the one hand, we can treat kids like they're everything, right? We can overemphasize kids and the blessing that they are. Um, a handful of ways that people can do that. The first um, is basically by saying that the more kids someone has, the more godly they are, the more holy, the more blessed or whatever they are. That would essentially uh, be the prosperity gospel with different clothes on, right? Saying that these things that I have ultimately determine my worth and my godliness, right? There are plenty of men and women in the Bible who did not have kids, but uh, they're godly men and women who have dealt with infertility. One example of that in Luke 1, verses six and seven, we see man, Zechariah and Elizabeth, yep, that's right, um, were, it says were righteous, were blameless, were walking in the man, commandments and statues of the Lord, but they had no child. And so I don't think we're on good grounds, uh, I'm confident that we're not on good grounds to say that infertility is a sign of God's displeasure. Um, we can also overemphasize the blessing of children by saying that every married couple uh, ever should just have as many, is commanded to have as many children as they possibly can without asking questions, right? Nowhere in the Bible do we see God commanding his people to have as many children as possible. With that said, we can also underemphasize the blessing of children. Um, this is essentially making out kids to be nothing, I think this is the side probably that our cult, like today's culture, uh, Western, you know, individualized, success-driven culture probably leans on a little bit harder, right? People are pushing off marriage further and further, uh, pushing off kids further and further so that um, they can, you know, achieve and accomplish ultimately because they see kids as burdens and barriers to that kind of lifestyle rather than blessings from our good God. Right, and if we're not careful, right, you know, that sort of achievement, accomplishment, kids are weighing me down, spirit can work its way out into the church. Right, yes, kids are expensive. Yes, they're time consuming. Yes, they're, you know, uh, they cause interruptions. They can drive us crazy sometimes. Um, 
But let's be on guard, right, against a, a spirit that deliberately and intentionally pushes off having kids or having more kids uh, simply that doing that simply because um, we're selfish. So in light of all that, uh, what's the, where's the middle ground? What's the, what's the to do? If those are the two ends of the spectrum, where should we be, right? If you're married here this morning, should you pursue having children now? Or should you man, pursue having more children? Uh, I think the short answer is, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't know you. I don't know your situation. I don't know all of the different you know, things that you have going on in your life. But based on what the Bible says about the blessing of children, here's what I think God would have for you this morning is to go before him humbly, dependently, and willingly open your hands and just ask. Just ask him, God, do you have this for us? Do you want us to pursue this now in any different way? Right, because when we you know, depend on his strength and his wisdom and prayer and wise counsel, right, these different things that the Bible doesn't necessarily give us right or wrong, yes or no answers on, he'll, he'll make uh, these things clear to us. Verse three shows us that children are a gift from the Lord. Right, and what we see, kind of moving on to verses four and five, what we see is that children, blessings aren't always given right, for us to, you know, to be more comfortable, blessings to sit on and hoard for ourselves, but they're to be stewarded, man, for God's glory in the world. And these next couple of verses show us how to do that with our children, how to steward them well. Verse four, it says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. All right, so likening children uh, to arrows in the hand of a warrior, Solomon shows us a couple things about our job as parents. The first is that we have to know the target, right? Know the target. If a, I'm gonna be honest. I don't know a ton about arrows, but I Googled it, okay? Clearly, uh, I'm not a woodsy, you know, outdoorsy guy who's shot a ton of bow and arrows in my lifestyle. But if, if a warrior is gonna use an arrow effectively, he has to know what his target is. Right, there's a, a, a Peanuts cartoon where Charlie Brown um, is you know, shooting arrows, um, trying to do some target practice. Um, and it looks, as he's doing it, it kind of appears as though he's hitting the target every time. Um, and so Lucy kind of walks up and says, Charlie, man, you're really good at you know, bow and arrow. Um, you're really good at shooting arrows. And he says, well, it's not really that hard. And then in the next frame, it shows you know, him shooting these arrows into a barn and then walking up and just drawing the target around wherever the arrow actually landed. Right? And un unfortunately, that can happen sometimes in parenting. Right? We just kind of wing it, go for it, whatever, and just hope it works out in the best and call ourselves successful, or we end up shooting at all of the targets that the world tells us to. Good behavior good grades, good college, good career, man, good marriage, and ultimately grandkids, right? And those aren't bad things to have. All of us would, you know, even in the church, we would want those things for our kids. But if as Christian parents, we successfully guide our kids to reach that target and have all of those things all the while neglecting their soul, we have completely and utterly failed, right? What our target is, if we've gotta know it, what is it? Our target as Christian parents is to raise kids who are fully devoted followers of Jesus. Kids who love and treasure Jesus more than anything else in the world. That's our target. To do that, man, to hit that, to guide our kids to hit that, we have to shape them. 
So with an arrow, uh, again, don't know much, but I do know that arrows don't grow on trees, right? Arrows don't grow on trees. They start, right, in chunks of wood that ultimately have to be shaped. They have to be whittled and formed uh, so that they can ultimately fly effectively. Um, And the same is true with our kids, right? Fully devoted followers of Jesus don't come out of the womb. Sinners do. Right, it's unpopular, but it is true. And our job as parents, man, is to, if we're gonna help them hit the target, we've gotta shape their hearts, help them hate sin and love the Lord. But how do we do that? Um, if you wanna, right, if, you know, if you wanna kill a weed, right, so if you wanna kill a weed and sprouts up, what you don't do is just kinda lop the top of it off, right, because ultimately the, you haven't done anything to the root and it's just gonna sprout right back up again. If you wanna kill a weed, you have to uproot it. Right? You have to get down to the very source and uproot it. And the same is the true with a child's heart and with your heart and my heart too. Right, Every one of our sinful behaviors ultimately comes from an unbelieving heart, from a sinful heart. We could say it this way. Every sinful fruit in our lives has a sinful, unbelieving root. So in attempts to man, help our kids man, hit the target and follow Jesus and be fully devoted to him, what we don't do is just try and modify their behavior, right? to tell them to do better, to try harder, to fix it, because ultimately they can't do that. right? Their, their, their behavior isn't just the issue, they have an unbelieving heart. And so what we do instead man, is we fo- focus our efforts on shaping their hearts. Right, when they lie or when they do have an outburst or whatever it is, what we do is we pull them aside and we have a conversation and we lovingly try to help them identify why they did whatever it was that they did. Right, we ask questions and we try to help them see that and then what we do once we've done that is we preach the heck out of the gospel to that unbelieving heart. We tell them that it's okay. Mommy and daddy sin too, but Jesus loves you. I'm getting emotional, man. Jesus loves you and he's died on the cross for your sins and God loves you no matter what good things you do or what, no matter what bad things you do. And in our attempts uh, to, to parent, and if we don't help our kids see that they have sinned and they, they are separated from a holy God, they'll never follow Jesus because they'll never see a need for him. They'll never see that they need a savior. But over time, as we help them identify their sin, we pray and trust that they'll see the preciousness of the Savior and hit the target of following him. Third thing, uh, if you're gonna launch an arrow effectively, um, you have to really pull back, right? You've gotta have some tension, some stress on that thing if you're gonna help it, far, uh, help it fly far. And ultimately, the same is true in our parenting. We have to, um, to put some tension. We've gotta maintain tension. The tension in parenting uh, is walking the line between rules and relationship. Right, on the one hand, we don't wanna be authoritarians who are just all rules, discipline, and correction to the neglect of our friendship uh, with our kids. On the other hand, uh, we don't wanna be, you know, just strive to be our kid's best friend um, all to the neglect of our duty to correct, to shape, uh, and to train them. So how, how do we do that? Uh, I think the first uh, is we have to realize, and parents, God has put you as an authority in your child's life. So use that authority and wield that authority both lovingly but also consistently. Second, build the relationship. Man, build the relationship, pursue your kids. Man, love them, spend time with them, know what makes them tick, man, know what they love, bless them with it. Man, it should never be a doubt in our kids' minds that mommy and daddy love me so much. Right, build a friendship and a relationship with them. And then third, man, remember that it's attention, right? It's attention. Sometimes in life, I'm sure my kids are little, but I'm sure even for those of you who have kids who are older, right, sometimes you have to probably lean on one side more than the other in certain seasons based on what they're walking through. Know that it's a season. Ask God for wisdom. Depend on him. 
man, and know, uh, know ultimately that you're not gonna do it perfectly, right? No one ever does it perfectly, and there's grace. Know the target, shape their hearts, maintain tension, and lastly, to let the arrow fly, you have to let it go. You have to let it go. Adoniram Judson uh, was uh, a missionary. He's one of the first missionaries to Southeast Asia uh, in the 1800s, and this was the letter that he sent uh, I'm gonna read you an excerpt from the letter that he sent to his girlfriend's father uh, before kind of asking for her hand in marriage. So parents, uh, just imagine receiving a letter like this. I have now uh, to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Whoa. Right, the only, as a parent, the only way you're even considering saying yes to that is, at, is if you see your child not as something to be held onto for your own comfort and protection, but as an arrow to be launched and let go of for the glory of God and for the advancement of his kingdom in this world. Know the target, shape their hearts, maintain tension, and let go. And here, is kind of where the beauty of this psalm comes in. We can't do that on our own strength. We can't. We try to do that, man, we're gonna fall on our face and be restless as all get out and ultimately fruitless. Our only hope for success in parenting is through dependence on our faithful God. But that is so hard to do. That's hard to do, right? It's hard to depend on the Lord in parenting. And it's hard to depend on the Lord with your future. It, it's hard to depend on the Lord with our kids, with our careers, with our finances, with every area of life. Right? The universal human experience is that it's difficult to depend on anything other than ourselves. And I think uh, oftentimes one of the reasons that we can see dependence on the Lord is so difficult is simply because we view it as the absence of control. Right? And from a human perspective, that that makes sense, right? If I ask my, um, you know, you to pay my rent or do something for me, what I'm doing is I'm basically completely losing control. I'm taking my hands off of whether the fact, whether the, you know, it actually happens, whether or not my landlord receives the payment um, that they're due. But here's what we have to see this morning, and this is key to everything. Depending on God is different. And depending on God is not simply taking our hands off of our lives, but it's trusting that he has his hands on our lives and that he's faithful, that he's faithful, right? If God is not faithful, we may as well pack it in and go home and live our lives however the heck we want to, but if he's faithful, we can trust him. You can depend on him. You can walk in the way that he's designed because you know that it's best and that he loves you and he's working all things out for your good. And this morning, we need to be reminded, man, afresh, if we're gonna depend on the Lord, that our God, the God who sits in the heavens, is a faithful God. Lamentations 3 says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. 
the never-ending love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. First John 1 says that when we come into the light and confess our sins, God is faithful to remove those things from us as far as the east is from the west. Second Timothy 2 says, even when we remain faithless, when we walk in self-reliance and we don't depend on the Lord as we ought to, he remains faithful. Man, Romans 8.32 in my translation says that because God did not spare his own son but sent him to the cross to pay for your sins and to take your place and be raised, you can trust him and you can depend because the cross is the picture of the faithfulness of God more than anything else. God is faithful, faithful, faithful this morning. He is and we can depend on him and trust him. And when we do that, and when we do that, he'll give us rest and he'll make our lives fruitful. So I wanna invite you to bow your heads uh, for a second and just ask you this question. Where do you need to depend on the Lord this morning? Where do you need rest? Where do you need rest? Some of you are exhausted, exhausted in parenting. Not only just physically, but spiritually. Your, your kids aren't, doesn't seem like they're listening to you. You're trying so hard to shape their hearts and maintain the tension and do all of the things, but it just seems like it's not working and it's not getting through. Some of you this morning are so worried about what other people think about you that it is completely and utterly consuming you. Your soul is so restless because someone's approval is never enough. Some of you are fearful, fearful about the future. Right? You don't know what's gonna happen in that relationship or in your career or with your health, right? and it's driving you crazy, you can't. Some of you are worried that God's patience with you has simply run out. He was good, he was loving, but not after last week, not after that thing that you did. No matter where you're restless this morning and hear the invitation of Jesus to you in that seat, come to me, come all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me and depend on me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. God, we pray and ask that you would help us to be a people who depends on you because we certainly have reason to. God, you've evidenced in this world and your word and your son and the cross that you are a faithful God. So help us to trust you. In all of the areas of our lives, Lord, we ask that you would help us to live with dependence and trust on you because you're certainly worthy of that and that's how we experience rest for our souls and fruitful labor for our hands. We pray all that in Jesus' name, amen.